Hello friends. We are glad you have joined us for a very special episode of Discologist wherein Kevin finally gets to fully express his love for the music of Bill Frizzell. Eduardo likes Bill Frizzell too, but not like Kevin. Kevin is Bill Frizzell's biggest fan. His biggest fan. Ha. 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 We've got some new music from Raw Poetic and Pretty Bitter too. It is now time for you to experience your podcast. Okay, okay, look. Yeah, Eduardo did get Taylor Swift tickets. No, you didn't. <laughs> I did, I did. You did? I did. All right, all right, all right. Everybody, everybody, okay, quiet. Just quiet. Okay. Wait a minute. You got Taylor Swift tickets? I got Taylor Swift tickets. Really? Um, yeah, it was a six-hour process. Okay. Humbling um, in every, you know, just the sense of, of scale uh, when you're talking about this kind of operation. Um, she's, I was thinking about this, she's got 53 stadium dates next summer. Um, I'm, I have I'm struggling. I have questions. Yeah. There are 53 uh, stadiums? That? No, Left? not a, no, she has she has multiple nights in Got several it. of okay. those. Okay, okay, all right. Um, Proceed. These are all, I think, NFL stadiums. Sure. These will likely all be sold out by the end of today if they're not already. Um, sure. Which and so I was thinking, like, okay, the average, like, a good NFL team has about eight home sellouts a year, right, for the regular season. Maybe you get another one or two in the playoffs. Let's call it ten. Right. So yeah. she is essentially going to sell five years worth of tickets for a good NFL team in one summer. Yeah. But, but really, the important thing is that she shouldn't have pressed all that vinyl because she's not that popular. <laughs> she, she's not that yeah, popular. How, how, how she's dare not, she? She's how, not that popular. I, how uh, dare she? Yeah. We'll, we'll save We're all seeing, that. <laughs> We're seeing how smart it is to to um, to predicate your career on the economic power of the largest generation since the baby boomers. This is, you know, this is like Taylor Swift hmm. shows next summer are as close as millennials will come to monoculture. Like they're all going. They're all going to experience this thing. You know? Yeah. I, I, and, and watching that, you know, just the, the reaction to it is something like I can't even relate to. Like, I, I think it skipped this type of superstar. Um, my generation, Generation X, because yeah. we, we just didn't even give a fuck. Well, your Generation yeah. X too. So, but but I think you know. But before we had, they had the Beatles, and they had like the, you think of people how they loved the Stones back then. That was like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but we didn't we didn't have that. In fact, we rejected it largely. We said, "Oh, those those creepy guys from Athens, REM, like the really quiet <laughs> guys in the corner. That they're, they're our shit." How about yeah. that? You know, um, yeah, I, uh, um, you know, what's interesting too is that this is an artist who's sort of at the at the peak of her, right? This isn't like this isn't the Rolling Stones playing stadiums in the late eighties. Um, no. this is maybe closest to you two at the sort of Octung Babies, Europa, pre Macfisto. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, but U two doesn't have that power anymore. U two didn't have that power. U two wasn't playing that. Like I saw Zoo TV yeah. at uh, what was the uh, was it the the Spectrum in Philly that they tore down? Okay, yeah, okay. I saw that. Yeah. I saw that. And it was one of the Pixies' last shows too. A remarkable show, but that was like at the peak of like 
Octoon Baby. That was like, they had come back, yeah. people were anticipating it, and then it was like, oh shit, Octoon Baby is a really good album. And yeah. so we're going to go out and see him. But yeah, she's 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 a monster, like in, in a good way. I, th- I think um, you know, in the past we've covered all the insides and outsides of, of how uh, the whole ticketing industry is dirty and stuff. Uh, and we're not going to do that here. I will say, don't not blame the artist. Yeah, that's fair. Just don't not blame the artist, right? There's reasons. Yeah. And if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see me tweeting some of them. But you know, this is this whole n- nobody's clean is what I'm saying. That's all, yeah. and that's all I want to say about that. But yeah, I'm glad you got tickets. I'm glad you got tickets. Me, <laughs> me too. My sister's delighted. Um, I'll see. Uh, I'll see all of you guys July 1st in Cincinnati. Uh, nice. nice. That's a Saturday, I believe. Oh, yeah, should I come should down be. and try to shoot it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's see how that goes. Shoot, shoot from the soundboard, the stadium over. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I and actually, last thing to say about Taylor, uh, you know, and, and we didn't talk about her album, the new one. We didn't talk about the last two. I don't think um, that's right. We did the last one we reviewed was Lovers. Yes, and uh, I I will say personally, like just me personally, as somebody who's not like a super fan. But enjoys really good pop music. Out of everything that's come since, like the fervor has gone up on the chart. But I think for me, the the satisfaction has gone down. Hmm. Like whatever you think about this out, al- like it, this is my least favorite album of hers in the in the big ter- Taylor Swift era, is what I'm saying. Oh, interesting. And looking back, yeah. it's like I really look at like, oh wow, Lovers was really good. I forget that song where she's. Uh, with the Dixie Chicks on it, it's like gutted people. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, you'll um you'll get better. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 There's nothing like that on any of these albums. And, that's true. And so, uh, you know, that's why I didn't put in for tickets. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. She's um she's amassed a little you know quite a little body of work there. Um, you know, I'm I think it's I think what's interesting is is that there's a lot to choose from now, right? It used to be that yeah. your choices were um her country pop or mm-hmm. pop. And now there's like there's like the sort of angry pop of reputation, there's the cottage core of folklore and evermore. Um, and then, and there's this, which is some of the glossiest pop this side of, you know, a Carly Rae Jepsen record. Um, yeah. yeah. Which came out on the same day, by the way. It did. And it's also great. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I need, I need to listen to that. So, yeah. uh, so moving on, uh, we have a good show for you here, uh, because I don't know if people are going to remember a couple years ago, uh, and we've talked about this recently. I really, really love uh, certain guitarists. One of them is Ry Cooter. And we did a deep dive in him. And I think it was you and Drew that were on the show. And <clears throat> you hadn't really, you didn't really know too much about the catalog. So, so, so we, we ran through it and that was fun. And we're kind of going to do that today with Bill Frizzell. Um, who's, whose catalog I know much better than Ry Cooter's. Right, because snobby jazz shit, right? No. <laughs> yeah, no, because, because well, so so with Bill Frizzell, I had a big thing with him on, you know, when he was on Nonesuch in the early 2000s. I really loved that run of records. Um, yeah. Toward the end of it, Danny Barnes from the Bad Livers showed up. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, 
what was that? There was that record too. There was like a Ginger Baker, Charlie Hayden, Bill Frizzell record. That's really nice too. There's two of them. There's two of them. It's exceptional. He's got so many records, which which we'll talk which we'll talk about, which is great. Yes. Um, but we're going to be talking about that and then a little uh, dive into his new album, Four, which he made with Gerald Clayton, Jonathan Blake, and uh, Greg Tardy, um, which is fantastic. Uh, just spoilers. It's fantastic. So, you know, yeah. we're, we're going into this gushing. So if you don't want to hear us gush about Bill Frizzell, the show is over for you, I guess. Um, but, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but uh, before we get that, we're going to do what we always do and play uh, some tracks that we have found that we love. Um, who wants to go first? Did I think I think I went first last time? I don't remember actually. Okay. Uh, I can go first. Why don't you go? Yeah. Yeah. Go. Yeah. Go. Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll go first here. Um, weirdly, no, that would be a spoiler. Uh, so this artist is from DC. His name's uh, Jason Moore. He goes by Raw Poetic. Uh, he's a hip hop artist. Uh, he founded uh, an organization restoring poetry and music. Uh, and he was in the duo called Panacea with Kyle Murdoch for a while. Um, but he is also, uh, Archie Shep, the saxophonist, is his uh, uncle. His parents were both in the original Black Panther Party. Uh, grew up outside of D.C. as sort of bounced between D.C. and Philly. And he's been working with this guy, uh, Damu the Fudge Monk, who is also D.C. and is amazing. They've made a few albums together, but then they 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 were not as integrated as I think they wanted to be. And so on this new album that's coming out in, it's I think it's the 9th of December, maybe, Space Beyond the Solar System, they really stuck their heads together and and you can feel it in what they're doing. It's it's expansive. Uh, it is a two-hour record. <laughs> and oh, so, wow. so so it, okay. is a, it is a journey, and, uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit after I play the track. The track I'm going to play is nine minutes long. So... This is this is not for the uh, time limited. This is not for casual consumption. Uh, luckily, though, both stepped up to the plate, and there's nothing casual about it. Uh, this is one of the best hip hop records I've heard in years. Uh, if you like bands called Tribe Called Quest, uh, De La Soul, that stuff is in there. But also, there they look a little forward to like what's going on in a lot of hip hop now, with not just having not just pulling from jazz tradition, which is what hip hop has always done, but really infusing jazz players in it. Archie Shep is on this track that we're going to play right now. Oh, cool. So this is in the first hour of the album, um, and it's about halfway through it. Uh, again, it's a long track, so, so settle in. Uh, this is A Mile in My Head featuring Archie Shep uh, from DC's Raw Poetic. Uh...
Lost a lot playing they lost soul. Girl walked by who was up the soul. Who's your powerful say, oh, you ain't no. Salam to my brother who's around the globe. Duck down deep to the record store. Here's some games that I ain't know. And here's what happens when my mind explodes. I'm a poet whose mind's open to rhythm beyond flowing. No counting on fine. Go on my talents, what I'm showing. No matter what I'm not posing, I'm candid with this shot. You fucking I'm old school. This what you call hip hop. Historical thrift shop. Gymnastically flip. I will tricks up my sleeve. Then the James Brown wristwatch. And on that note, it's time to go. Headphones off and I check my phone. Buy three records and I head back home. All on foot to remind my own. Bricks they laid. Same old city, same old city, same old city that was built by slaves. Now I can't afford anything we made. They probably do the same to the songs we sang. My granddaddy used to watch the bodies that they hang. Now I live in the world that's supposedly changed. I for better or worse. Why I'm telling you first, this is just a type of stuff I think we're walking the surf. It's got me fitting the curse. Fuck drugs or a bitch. Hand the crack has some money cause he black. That's it. Now I'm wanting to grow, but I'm spending too much bucks. It's whatever. Someday I'm hitting my peeps up. The beat's gonna creep up. I'll be a silence waiting to meet up. I sent to my album. I won't go low, don't mind. Okay, sunshine sometimes tells me stories. Sometimes there's not too much to say. The world goes in so on the way. I won't so low, don't mind. Okay, sunshine. Mind power speak louder when no one's around, baby. Pen powders, backtracks. When I hear a break beat, I go hours still wild. Yes, I guess it is just my nature. Smooth like the curve when the pen touch my paper. Stay in the black like I was the King Crusader. Black like the panther that mom and daddy lay ya. Back in my car, I drove. Way down deep in the meter's groove. Munchbox freestyle to let off moves. Good conversations, we got off moves. Life got a way to make you not unfold. Drinks got a way to make you speak your soul. I hate politicians working for the man. Do the song and dance. Love my girl, kinda hate her friends. I don't understand. Stretch thin. Got me feeling like a stale rubber band. Should've went pop a long time ago. Then again, I can be a robot for anyone. Understand, even though I'm broke, I'm comfortable with who I am. I don't even understand why I'm saying this. These are things that I think while I'm driving. Head nodding, beat vibing, just riding. Start riding when I ain't got no pen. See my home in the distance, so let's go in. I won't follow, don't mind. Okay, sunshine sometimes tells me stories sometimes. Were you expecting yeah, that? Yeah, that was 
<laughs> no, that was that was incredibly um, kind of bold and original and really, um, really interesting. There were like it's pulling a lot of different things together, but in a way that's really um, that doesn't, you know, it, it, it feels, it feels cohesive, right? So you have that kind of like jazz, you know, sort of cut up sound collage vibe a little bit. There's, um, those great, you know, those great verses. Um, and is that, is that raw poetic himself? Is that? Yeah. Okay. So, so Tim Um, Archie Shep and, uh, and, uh, Luke Stewart from Irreversible Entanglements. Oh. Amongst other things on bass. Wow. Wow. Good. Uh, a lot of, lot of pedigree in that room. Um, yes. That that the fact that there's like an orchestral sample throughout um, with like a little bit of like a harp effect is really bonkers and great. It works really well. Yeah, this is yeah. this is a very uh, psychedelic record. I can see that, and I can see um, that, and it gets way further out than this. Um, it also, in that in that sense, uh, feels a little bit like a spiritual successor to uh, play with toys. They said it, oh, it's, sure. it's taking like this hip hop idiom and doing things with it. It's telling uh, uh, it's telling a story. This is doing it more in in an audio in a vibe way, like less direct than Basehead was. But uh, it's it's no less. The, the result is that you, you sit down and you feel like you have been entertained in a way. I think that you don't just get from, oh, that was a good song. Yeah, this is clearly um, a little bit more of like a musical journey, and it's really yes. it's really ambitious. It's really ambitious to try to do this, and I think that you know there are some, uh, you know, when you try to be innovative, and you're you're sort of using hip hop as the scaffolding or just mm-hmm. the underlying structure. Um, you know, sometimes I don't like clipping is a good example. You know, I don't, I know you like their music. I find it kind of exhausting and a little bit off putting and it's not really, you know, I, 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 yeah, yeah, no, it's, I mean that and Shabazz palaces, right. They're, they're, they're designed to be sort of exhausting, confounding listens. Um, and I don't necessarily enjoy like, like while I respect what they're doing, I don't necessarily enjoy those, but I really liked this. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's certainly ambitious. Uh, I said this before I played the track. Yeah, you know, the album is two hours long, and I know. Uh, wow. Look, I know they try to justify it, um, but this is people just don't have the time for. And I and I like. I wish they had broken it into two separate parts, two separate albums, to yeah. consume that way. Uh, Simply because of the consumer of the market, like there's just no but. I mean, I can't uh, imagine even like, even I'm like, I, man, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot, right? Yeah. And if you know, I'm like that, then you know, you, you, maybe not. That, that said, uh, it's remarkable, and and I don't yeah. I don't know how they would do it any other way, and I'm, and and I am ultimately glad they didn't. Uh, it. Yeah, it'll cause me to adjust my schedule a few times before the end of the year. Yeah, 
Because you really have to pencil it in. You you have to be like, uh, uh, sit down and, I mean, the singles, the tracks are great. So you can drop in at any point in this record and be like, yes, this is awesome. This is awesome. In fact, the track How I Kick It, which is directly, you know, Tribe Called Quest, um, is is probably one of my favorite tracks of the year. But uh, to get the whole experience... You really got to pencil it in. So when it comes out, we'll remind you on if Twitter exists. <laughs> <laughs> Big if. <laughs> um, find us on Mastodon. Yeah, um, which we're on. Seriously, find me. I don't. I, I'm lost there. So someone please find me. I, I don't know how to. Me. I don't know how to we, get. We to are. Me. We are a discologist at uh, mstdn.party. So dot party. Yeah, we haven't started our own server yet, but. Yeah, this is this is a this is a must buy. I don't even know if it's gonna be out on vinyl yet. I hope it is. Uh, I hope it costs like a hundred bucks. I hope they're like, you have to invest in this, man. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. have to. And I hope people buy it because it's fucking uh, it just late in the late in the game, late in the year. Just a motherfucker of a record. Yeah. So. Yeah, really, really, really ambitious. I'm, I'm really. And you can tell from the first, from like the first thirty seconds of that track, where you're just like, "Oh, this is this is going places. This is this is going to be a patient." Yep. Um, patient. Out there, patient thing. is a, is a yeah. great word to describe that. So, yeah. um, and I think I sent you that the advance. So, you've got it. Okay. Yeah. Or I'll bring it. I'm going to be in this season. Yes. Uh, all right. In just a just a couple of days. Well, we're gonna. We didn't uh, plan this, but we're gonna keep it in DC. Um, I've, I've, I had a had a weekend a couple weekends ago where I got to go to almost back to back Comet ping pong shows. And one thing they do really well at that venue is put together a you know multi band bill, um, usually featuring um, the local acts that you probably most would want to see or most need to see at that point in time. And I saw several you know several great uh, several great folks: Queen of Jeans, Flower Bomb. Um, and a couple of others, but, uh, the track that I picked for this is by Pretty Bitter. And I think you'll, you know, once, once you're listening to it, you'll understand why I picked it because I think it'll remind you of some, of the music of some friends of yours who have uh, been a frequent topic of discussion on this show.
Mm. Uh, she's pure astral light, parens, or so she says, by Pretty Bitter. Yeah. Um, who's going to be bigger first, them or Burke Royals? Like, Good I, question. I have a Good lot question. of... So, uh, first off, here's where the reputation of DC as a punk town does it a great disservice. And I think people need to forget about that now because it's clear that it is a pop town now. Uh, yeah. Because even in seeing, like, I think Mauricio has covered them a few times. Um, in seeing pictures, I assumed, wrongly, that they were just, like, a punk band. They were, like, everybody I'd, I'd heard before that was, like, of the priest variety or whatnot. And, um, and thus I was not interested. Uh that's fantastic. That yeah. that is I I I want a reboot of the OC based in DC. <laughs> so all these bands can like make a living just doing songs for that show. Getting residuals uh, and yeah, 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 yeah. And and yeah. and uh bring bring back Sandy Cohen. He's still alive, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um <clears throat> but uh yeah, that that is. Uh, are they playing anywhere when I'm in town? Yeah, they're they're not. Unfortunately, God. Um, this was this was a you know um, this was there were a lot of people there to see them. They were playing. They were opening for Mama Larky, um, okay. who are also great and worth seeing live. But um, you know, I know there were people there who were very excited uh, for Pretty Bitter. Our friends in Outer Loop, um, Don yeah. was there and. Uh, and I think you tweeted something like, you know, we're about to to hear the best, you know, the band that put out the best record in the D.C. area last year. And that's coming from someone whose sound is like very hard, kind of punk, hardcore, you yeah. know, on the on the edge of metal. And he's, you know, uh, he was brought out by uh, by Pretty Bitter. So I'm really excited to see them again. And I hope to see them many, many times. I hope they keep putting out funny like that second verse i don't know if if, yeah. if um people right that that thing about how my friend's telling me i should smoke more weed but her parents pay her rent and i just don't have the time to deal with this like that's just that's like objectively funny it, <laughs> right? it is it also plays to your your pavement uh fetishization like the yes, slacker, it does. the slackerness of it um, absolutely which again i think got missed by a lot of people in the, uh, the millennial generation maybe like they'd say stuff like that, but there was no they didn't get how funny it was. Yeah. <laughs> Which is hard. Yeah. Look, it's hard to land a joke like that. But that that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. like Huh. Huh, man, I am Man, I'm gobsmacked. That as as I saw the name and I was like, Oh, here we go. And, yeah, and you're not like, a, here comes not, another Eduardo band, another you know all, guitar person has feelings. Yeah, not at all what uh, <laughs> guitar. <laughs> uh, not at all what I was expecting. Uh, that was great, man. They they, they have an album. So this is not. This is only digital. This is not. I I hope they are able. But to they do have a digital vinyl. Yes, this is out. This is out. This is on. This is on Bandcamp. Um, okay. And. Uh, and the whole record is pretty, it's a pretty nice listen. It's a pretty nice listen. Uh, How long is I really it? like, you know, I sort of, I would sort of put them in the kind of this crop of like Gorilla Toss type bands where okay. it's kind of, it's sort of like, it's, it's, it really feels kind of new, even though all the, the building elements of it are, are familiar and from other things, the way it's all coming together in this kind of like 
weird, groove, dancey, poppy, uh, jammy kind of thing is really, really fascinating. I feel like that's just called writing a good song. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I, I think you're right. I, it, it cannot be overstated that if you don't write a good song, people can tell. <laughs> right? It yeah. doesn't matter what aesthetic you have, how, how closely you're approximating the vibe. If the song itself is not good um, or not great, then be, people people can smell it. Um, yeah. But uh, how long is the album? It's about 40 some minutes, 45 minutes, 40. Okay, that's, that's good. I was yeah, hoping for yeah. like 30, but no. Yeah. no, no that's, <laughs> there's one There's one 10 minute song on it. Um, oh. Yeah. And then there are plenty of songs that are under the four minute mark. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good on DC. Well, yeah. Um, good maybe, rep. Good, good repping today. We'll hit them up. I think we could put them up at a gig at Boundary Stone while I'm there. Yeah, we, let me, we let just me play, message them on Bandcamp. Just be like, hey, what are you guys doing on Friday? Yeah, yeah, we're going to have like a seven-hour wait for Red Hen. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that's right. So, uh, Help us kill time. Yeah, at any rate. Okay, uh, moving on. We're going to take a quick break. I'm going to have a throat lozenge, and uh, we're going to talk about Bill Frizzell. So hang tight, and we'll be right back. bit of Dear Old Friend for Alan Woodard off of uh, Bill Frizzell's latest album, his third for Blue Note Records, uh, four. Uh, he did a trio record right before this in 2020 called Valentine that was reuniting with an older trio that he used to play with. Um, this one features uh, Gerald Clayton on piano, who we have talked about this year, Bells on Sand, a remarkable mm -hmm. album. Uh, Jonathan Blake on drums, Greg Tardy on saxophone, clarinet, and bass clarinet. I don't know those two guys, uh, so I, I need to look into it. I, I've been 
sort of lost in the beauty of that tr- that track specifically. Yeah. Like it's hard for me to make it past that first track sometimes in this album. Um, for people who are unfamiliar or just need a little refresher, like who is Bill Frizzell? He's a guitarist, uh, born in Baltimore, grew up in Seattle, moved to all over the place. Uh, started out as a session player in the eighties for uh, the uh, vaunted ECM Records. Um, had a brilliant relationship, still does with John Zorn, I think, unless John Zorn's dead. Maybe I'll edit that. He's alive. He's alive. Yeah. <laughs> I believe. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as I said that, I'm like, research. Um, so, um, trained in music in uh, Colorado. Um, his big break came, and this is kind of fascinating because once you, jazz guitarists are weird to listen to, right? Right? Yeah. You yeah. know, it's, you never like, for every tasteful dude like Frizzell, you have somebody like Al DiMiola or Pat Metheny. Yeah, I was gonna say there's a there's a there's a weird cheese um, yeah. thing that happens sometimes, or just another you know it it, it can be they, it can easily become too smooth. In the eighties and nineties, they all got a hold of this device called the Eventide Harmonizer. Uh, uh-huh. Steve Vai also got that too, and then it was like, oh, we can make it sound like anything, and it got a little weird. Garcia did a little bit of that though. Um, yeah. So, but anyways, Pat Metheny was with ECM Records. He couldn't make a uh, session, so he gave Frizzell the nod, and basically the rest is history. They were like, "You're amazing. You're going to work with us for a really long time." Uh, to say he is just a guitarist is selling him short. I think, as I've gotten to know more of his catalog. Bill Frizzell is somebody who is kind of, he's just uniquely in touch uh, with music. He has this, like, just very unique connection that allows him to not just express himself in, like, if you look over his catalog, this, like, infinite variety of ways. But he's, he's almost like a magnet for people that also want to do this kind of work. Uh, yeah, he's and, he's found great collaborators over the years. Like I'm thinking, like on um, on a lot of those non such records, he had Victor Krauss playing bass, who's uh-huh. Alison Krauss's brother and plays the upright in Lyle Lovett's big band. I want to say, yeah. And he did some records with Jim Keltner, who was one of those drummers right. who was just been everywhere. You know, like 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 we all own at least twenty albums that Jim Keltner has played on. Uh-huh. And he was doing if you go back early in this catalog it is a little more avant-garde stuff uh in fact we're going to play a track that you would never expect to hear if you don't know about it already um for one of his earlier albums but um and somewhere in the 90s he connected his love of american music and pop and rock even um with what he was doing and his made this just block of work that is it, it's so baffling to like really look at it because the arrangements are so unique and so him the arrangements are like this completely other instrument and then he comes in and does his thing but it's not always like you're not going to hear Bill Frizzell and be like oh that was the sick lick bro 
You know, it's not it's not like listening to Grant Green, although Grant Green is a good like analog to what he did. Grant Green was a great arranger and he brought together all these people to make uh, at times people can be like it's smooth jazz. But like I defy you to like be able to do any of Grant Green's runs. Other guitarists. Yeah. Um, this peaked in 1997 with an album called Nashville. Uh, and that for me, that is the most accessible one. I, I can put it on for anybody. And Jerry Douglas is on it, so yeah. it's a it's a it's the Robert Altman uh, it's the soundtrack to the Robert Altman movie too, right? No, it's not. Oh, it's not. No, I no, thought, it's not. I thought it was. Uh-uh. I thought he did. I thought he did the whole musical arrangement for that. I don't think so. Huh? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This is news no. to me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's uh, he he was just went to Nashville to work. Huh. Okay. Although maybe the musical interlude, we'll look that up and like we'll yeah, fact yeah, check yeah, yeah, in yeah. real time. I could be wrong. <laughs> now now I'm like shit, was that actually Ry Cooter? And I'm and I'm the one making a mistake? Uh, I don't know. But uh It might have been Ry but, Cooter. But yeah. but that it you know, no, because it has uh, one of these days on it, the Neil Young song. Okay. Um yeah. and uh it it's a very pleasing like Americana album. And so well, a lot of people start and stop with that. Yeah, I think you know what um what he does that to me is really different from and 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 why I'm not so quick to put him to kind of label him in my mind as a jazz musician is I think he is there's something about the way he he handles songs right like uh, and so just to pick someone whose whose tone and playing style sounds similar to Bill Frisell like a Julian Lage you go to hear you know you listen to a Julian Lage record to hear him play. Um, to hear those solos, to hear what's going to happen. When you come into a Bill Frizzell record, and I think that opening track is a great example of it, there's so much attention to what a song should be. Not what we're going to play on it, but what does the song need to be? Um, And I think that's the... And, 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 you know, hearing that track, I mean, I immediately was just like, oh, this is going to be one of those records where just every song is so thoughtfully put together and so tastefully arranged. And he has a way of like playing around the melody and still having it in there. He does this really well on that record with Petra Hayden, which is mostly duets. Right. And solo guitar. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. That's the one that I, I went out and bought it now, but it took me forever to get into it because I was looking at it. Like I want Bill Frizzell, the guitarist, yeah, and that but album's Bill Frizzell, the song, yeah, the song architect, the song engineer, that might actually be his, you know, his his kind of most unique um, gift that he can bring forward to this record. And I think that's, you know, it it, it marries really well with that uh, that kind of Jerry Douglas new grass, you know, instrumental music that was sort of rooted in in bluegrass, but but kind of playing more to classical audiences, right? Edgar Meyer. Um, Mark O'Connor, Chris Thiele, right? Like all those guys sort of were in that space for a little while. And those are all the approach to melody, the approach to like chord changes, even just, you know, having just, just, just writing a song that is like primarily, uh, major chords, um, and sounds great, but has like, but has like a jazz vernacular to it is is kind of innovative and different, you know. I, I don't think a lot of people do that. So yeah, it's uh, not one one thing. I I was just in um, Virginia earlier this year. My uh, 
partner's uncle and my friend Jim so- Jim Sochinsky died. Um, he was the band director of the Marching Virginians at Virginia Tech for years, amongst other things. So cool. Um, yeah, and you, when people pass, you find out things about them that maybe you didn't know. Him and his his wife Sherry, uh, they had no kids. They're remarkable people. Um, he didn't really talk about music when we would go visit. We spend a lot of Thanksgivings together. Um, we would just drink bourbon. But I think he talked about music all, all the time, and apparently he had a reputation for for drink. Um, but part of the weekend, the celebrate, we were there to celebrate him since we couldn't during like COVID, the height of COVID. Part of the weekend involved the uh, marching band on their practice field named after him doing a uh, a set that was arranged by him, music that he loved, and his friends sort of pitched in on that. And one thing I found out, though, is that he had this reputation for his arrangements being very different from anybody else's. Um, In fact, so different that apparently at some point he uh, worked on the arrangements for a Phil Collins tour in the 90s. Wow. Right? Wow. But he, at the base of all this... His PhD, when he was a kid, was from University of Miami, exploring, and, and it's, it's in philosophy, <laughs> it's exploring what happens when you have two of the same notes playing, and how you can change that, still keeping it, it can be different octaves, it can be everything. Uh, and how you can change that to affect not just the sound of the piece, but your environment, like the people experiencing that. What what experience that's going to have on people? And I am I'm tracking that down. So we're going to be talking about that. Wow, uh, yeah. that thesis. Very cool. But I, I bring that up because it was clear that Jim was looking for some truth in music. And I think that's what, at the end of the day, Bill Frizzell is about. I think Bill is less concerned with the tone of his guitar, less concerned with the notes he plays, and more concerned with, like, at the end of the day, what it means. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that that dovetails um, with my with the way I've been thinking about it, which is that that sort of song lens, right? Where the idea is yeah. like, not what am I going to do on this, but like, what does this, what you know, what do I want this song to be? And it's right. just you know, and and you keep hearing that on this on this record, you know. By and large, they don't they don't stretch out a lot on this record. I think most of the tracks are, you know, at the kind of four or five minute mark. Yeah. Um, a lot of them have really, uh, just juicy, happy chord progressions that are, you know, played in a way that's kind of buttery and feels really solid. Um, if you know his catalog, there's a couple of moments where you're like, wait a minute, this is another Bill Frizzell song. This is a, you know, this is, this is like an old song of his that I know. 
Um, and that's really fun to hear him revisiting, uh, especially the, you know, the parts of his catalog that he, um, on like the willies and, and, uh, you know, good dog, happy man, uh, where, uh, a lot of those were done with sort of an acoustic instrumentation. And so to hear him revisiting it in this weird, this weird baseless jazz trio, we haven't even talked about that. Like this is right. Well, we will. (laughs) Right. Right. A a baseless jazz quartet is really unique. Uh, you don't see that a lot. Yeah. He said, um, so this album is, is made up. It's 13 songs. Seven of these are new compositions that he came up with uh, during the pandemic. Uh, his quote, he said, uh, "It was the lockdown. It was traumatic not to be with people, so he picked up a guitar, and my guitar saved me. And he does, I don't know, there's a fantastic uh, documentary on him on Vimeo where you mm. see how he writes stuff. And it's just notebooks, and it's like integrated into his home, but it's not, it does, it's not hoarding. But, but it's always available to him. Like, he just has to do this stuff a certain way. So these came out in seven of the 13 songs. The other songs, though, uh, have this, like, wild history of a lot of them showing up on a bunch of albums. Like, he keeps playing these songs. He can't, like, get away from these songs. Uh, the you mentioned Good Dog Happy Man. That's from the 1999 album Good Dog Happy Man, which is absolutely fantastic. There's two songs from that on here, but the one I'm going to play right now, uh, Monroe, shows up on four albums. It shows up on Good Dog Happy Man. It shows up on 2005's Further East, Further West. It shows up on an album called Bill Frizzell, Ron Carter, and Paul uh, Motion. Oh, drummer, okay. yeah, yeah. Like 2006 and 2008's History Mystery. So this song means something to Frizzell, uh, yeah. that it's up to us to figure it out. So I'm going to play a little bit of it and then uh, see if he can figure it out.
you were talking about Julian Lage when you come for the performance. That that that's a little showing off by everybody involved. Yeah, yeah, that's you true. Know, it feels traditional too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is um this uh the 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 middle part of this record is to me filled with so many, and this is I think like what the sixth or seventh track on it or something like that. Yeah. Um. And it's filled with so many moments of, you know, you and I were talking before we started recording about just how our typical mode for a Bill Frizzell record is just hit play. And then you're not necessarily following like which track is playing. You're just really listening and enjoying uh, what you're hearing. The middle section of this album has so many really warm moments. Um, you know, Gregory, Gregory Tardy, who I also didn't know before this. I mean, I really didn't know Tardy or, or Blake. Um, but the interplay between Tardy and Gerald Clayton is really yeah. notable, I think. Um, and to me, they're sort of uh, almost like the twin wings of the plane. You know, they're each sort <laughs> of, uh, right? And it seems like they're really locked in and just able to kind of, you know, um, direct the song. And then Bill Frizzell gets to be at the helm and sort of uh, bring it home. Yeah, yeah. And I, it's interesting that, that they provide that support because this was largely an in, in, in improvised session. Like they had the arrangements, yeah. they had the arrangements, but they did not necessarily have the, the instrument assignments. You know, there's, there's uh this might sound like we're damning it with faint praise. Um, and that's not my intent at all. This is a really, the playing on this album is really tasteful. Yes. Um, it's just, you know, you get these, rather than the sort of band stepping back and creating room for kind of one soloist to go for, you know, however many bars they want, um, it feels much more sort of collaborative and like they're sort of finishing each other's, you know, sentences a little bit. It feels, um, you know, I, I, I feel like I can't point to any particular solo on this record and say that oh that solo makes it for me but i can right. but I, but but there are passages and stretches where i'm just like oh what happens here the interplay and again it's often between tardy and clayton um you know that can make or break a song for me and uh and that happens a lot on this record i think yeah. you know i love the way the middle section of monroe gets a little a little spacey right is that yeah. the kind of the most abstract the record gets yeah and maybe that's why he likes it i mean you know if, you, if you're bringing in this arrangement this new arrangement of a song you've done like over and over and over and then you're like hey what, what do you guys do with this because this, this wasn't like one take but it was very a spontaneous session yeah um yeah, yeah for me uh tardy is is Clayton's the VIP on everything he touches, but <laughs> yeah, but fair. but but Tardy is the VIP on this album. Um, he he sets the mood on almost all the songs, uh, and it's you know on the track we just heard, uh, he's paired himself a little more with Frizzell. Yeah, you know, a, a little more. Where they're sort of doubling lines and yeah, a little more the emphasis to like, okay, this is what we're. This is what's driving this train at this moment, um, but he really uh, just knocks you out of the park, and and like you can picture people just like not being in the room and him just being like, okay, and then somebody coming in the room like, oh, bro, you're playing, 
<laughs> yeah, let, yeah. Let, let me let me let me slide in here and see what's going on. That is, you know, a lot of the. Let me find a way to a diplomatic way to say this. A lot of times, the 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 press notes around a release will will talk about a recording environment in in the same way that that these that the that the notes for this release would right like yeah. uh, that it's sort of um you know it's sort of open it's a homecoming it's a celebration of being together right there's all these these are these are like sort of well worn publicist tropes um it doesn't usually feel uh you know and then you go and listen to the record and and uh, it doesn't quite match you know what those what those notes are telling you right. this is a case where it's it's really fully aligned you really do get the feeling that this is just a a comfortable casual um you know workout that these musicians are are doing and they're sort of mm-hmm. you know and the hive mind again is really all around this idea of like all right no one you know we all know we're good no one here really needs to show right. off the question right. is like how are we, you know how are we going to make this song better Right. Yeah, nobody in this in this session was like, "Holy fuck, Bill Frizzell. <laughs> right? <laughs> There's like, "What's up, dude?" And and it plays like that. It's it's so so comfortable. Uh, let's play another track now. This is uh, also from showed up on Good Dog Happy Man. Uh, this is the Pioneers. It was also on 1997's Music Is, Ooh, uh, which is a fantastic album. But here's a little of the Pioneers. Thank you. 
Yeah, so that is exactly what I was thinking about when I was talking about um, Gregory Tardy and Gerald Clayton just seeing these right. songs through in this incredible way. You know, there's there's something about uh, about Tardy's tone there that is so um, just so warm and so uh, reassuring. Um, you know, the fact that they're, again, they're sort of sailing over these like big, bright, happy chords really, really helps. There's, a, there's, there's like a quality to a certain kind of really aesthetically pleasing music, which is what I think of as being like sitcom credits grade. And, <laughs> and that sounds like, and, yeah. and for a lot of people that just means like, oh, cheesy and saccharine and no, 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 no. What I mean is that like you have to be able to evoke a certain set of emotions for a song yeah. to be able to play in that setting. Right. And, and when they kick in at, at about the three minute mark of this track is really when I think Clayton and, and, and Tardy kind of, uh, you know, begin to bring it home when that kicks in, you feel happy, you feel a little bit wistful and nostalgic. Uh, you feel kind of loving and you feel like it, it just it just conjures up such a kind of a mess of different emotions. Most most of them are positive. Some of them are a little sad. Some of them a little sweet. Um, that's not easy to do. No, it's funny you mentioned sitcoms uh, because we can talk about the Cheers theme. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Right. Everybody that's knows a, your name. Uh, written uh, by Craig Safan. Uh, this guy, Gary Herbig, wrote uh, or played the sax on that or the clarinet. Uh, for my money, uh, so I, I have I have the whole series, right? And I and mm -hmm. I will every few years I'll just watch it all the way through. And different stages of life, you get different things out of it. It it is yeah. that type of show. But I know when I hear that clarinet, when that sitcom, like when I and I, and I hear just there's the vibe of how that is put together and delivered. I know that I'm I'm not just like gonna be happy, but I'm safe, and I, yeah. I can't I can't even yeah like there's no nuance to that. It's just like you hear it and you're like, oh, you're safe. This is yeah. This is that, so. This is it, it's a level of comforting that is above and beyond like a lot of other things in existence. Yeah. Um, it really is like a warm embrace, right? It just feels like you just feel these like big, you know, like the song has these like big strong arms and you're kind of wrapped yeah. up in them. Um, they do it, they do it in a couple of spots on this record. They do it on Waltz for, um, Hal Wilner too. Mm -hmm. There's a, a lot of, you know, I, I, my notes just say Clayton and Tardy make this one for me. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, they're really, uh, I'm going to be very curious to, to hear what happens if those two keep working together. Um, and what kinds of projects and, and, and what they might be able to do, because I really, I really like the way that they're showing up here. Would, how would Sonny Stitt fit into this quartet? You know, that's a, that's a good, we're, we're, we're sort of in, we're in Stitt adjacent territory here, oh, yeah. aren't we a little bit? Um, yeah. And yeah. I don't know if, and I guess I could, might be able to get that question answered, how anybody at Blue Note <clears throat> feels about Sonny Stitt. Ooh. Or 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 Bill Frizzell, like personally, like just be like, hey, Sonny Stitt, <laughs> got a comment? <laughs> yeah, uh, I I wonder what um I wonder what how musicians think of him today. Um, yeah, because for me, in listening like in listening to Tardy, 
I see a direct line between what Tardy is doing on this album. I, I don't know his other work, but on this album, it, it, there's just you could put it's it's that type of player. Yeah, he's here. Yeah. He's aiming to please. Yes, and he's and like you said, he's like nobody walked into this and weren't like they were all like we're good. We we got that covered, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It, this is this is the type of record I think. Back to Bill Frizzell as um, an arranger or, or a truth seeker in music. I think, I think this is what he's going to keep on making, um, even though we know that he can do some pretty far out stuff, and he can do some really like guitar focused stuff. But I, but I think, th- and I think this will be like his his biggest legacy. Like if you if you talk about. You know, Phil Cook's like the tree of music, but often you think, yeah. of, you talk about like Americana or, or American music as a quilt. Uh, I, I don't know if there's a term sort of like a mother thread. Like some threads are more important than others. Yeah. But, yeah. but I think Bill Frizzell is one of those. I think you don't have a lot of this that exists in what we know as American music, more on the jazz side, for sure. But I I just don't see it without Bill Frizzell. He got you know his career is like he's like forty five years of prominence. Yeah, and and you're right. There's been some out you know like the headless torso stuff. Um, mm-hmm. There's definitely uh, or maybe that was Mark Rebo. Um, but he has a couple of records that are that are confrontational and that are not aesthetically pleasing. And then he has other records where you're like, oh, this is very, and again, I don't mean this as a knock, like this is very Ken Burnsy or something, right? Yeah. Um, and and again, like you have to, you know, anyone can anyone can can play a G, a C, and a D. Um, that's not that's not that's not the gift here. The gift is is figuring out how to make a G, C, D sound like the goddamn truth right Right. like a revelation like the world opening and revealing itself to you and that's that's the thing that when when frizzell does i'm i'm not sure there's anyone else who can who can sort of stand with him no and it's along those lines like if you if you have any musical inclination you pick up an instrument and and you want to have your mind blown do find your favorite song right and then learn how to play like the root of it, the just the chords, and, like, and you, you'll start to feel dumb. <laughs> yeah. and, and it'll start to become apparent that like it isn't just. I mean, look, music is math, but it isn't just math. Like, there's way more to it than that. You have to be in tune with not just yourself, but like everything around you and the world that we exist in, to make this stuff resonate with other people. Um, which is what Frizzell uh, excels at. I, I want to play something not on this album. This is on, uh, let's see, when was this album out? Uh, Have a Little Faith uh, from Bill Frizzell. I think it was like 92 or so. Um, and that was a uh, John Hyatt song. So he covers a John Hyatt song. See, this is what, wow. yeah. this is what I'm talking about. Um, I. We've covered uh, his album he put out with uh, Gregory uh, Murray, um, or Gregor Murray yeah. and Roman Collin, Americana. Yep. Uh, that's astounding, so I'm not going to play that. But keep in mind, like that is an album that kicked off with Brothers in Arms by Dire Straits. Yep. 
Bill Frizzell doing Brothers in Arms. This guy harmonica. This one though. Um, apparently, Andres knew about it. <laughs> I did oh, not. Yeah, that's I, I saw not, that. That's or I had right, right, forgotten about it. Yeah. Um, but on this album in 1982, he covers the song "Live to Tell" by Madonna. And I use the term "covers" loosely. Um, so here's a little of that. what we've been talking about nobody none of us like just casual listeners expected that that song was in the song Madonna wrote all credit to Madonna though like that I mean she wrote a song and that's a that's what you call a great song that you can take it and find all these little different ways to not just interpret it but experience it um, and 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 the way he plays, I mean, you can hear every word of the chorus in his playing. Yeah. And some people might think that that sounds mechanical, but it's actually it's it's incredibly difficult to have to to kind of you know match match the tone and the feeling. And again, to you know to to 
to really feel like like he is he is trying to recreate every element of the song through his filter up you know up until that the the little thing that we that we went out on which I'd, yeah. I'd forgotten that part of the song right yeah the post chorus and it's in the eighties like yeah it's incredible yeah yeah and yeah so that's what that's why I say I think he's one of those like mother threads of this stuff uh, yeah i think there's a lot of people who could do that to be clear but there's a big difference between being able to do it and then choosing to actually do it yeah um it, it, it you know we we end up in that um in that space where it's sort of like you're trying to you're ultimately you're just trying to define something and it, and it and it just comes back to like well he's just really good right like it goes <laughs> beyond it goes beyond technique it goes yeah. beyond technical proficiency it has mm-hmm. to do with a whole series of choices and your approach and and your idi- you know just your idiosyncratic uh way of doing it but but you know ultimately those are just different ways of trying to explain that he does this better than others yeah yeah and I think a key component to that is that he's humility is is not the right word. I don't think he's humble about this. I don't think you can when you're when you're this, and I don't think you should be when you're this good at something. You should not be humble about it. You should be like, I am that good, but you should. He's respectful. He's respectful of the song. He's respectful, and he understands though that that is not the entirety of the world. Just yeah. just because he's good at that. It just means that he's really good at that. Yeah. It doesn't mean like, you know, he, he still has to relate to like the world around him. And he does. Yeah. Clearly, clearly. Um, uh, yeah, this, this music again, listening, going through his catalog, cause I really didn't start digging in until like 2016, 2017. Uh, has been as rewarding as any other like musical trip I've taken. Um, very similar to like discovering Raikouter stuff. Yeah. The humanity in these people that comes across, I think, for me is what is uh, most remarkable because him. There's a few players like this, but they can. As you just say, they're putting out an album, and I and I'll buy it. I don't care what it is. I don't like. I'll just buy it because I want to see what this human who seems to be having a positive effect on, you know, at least a small sphere around them. If that positive effect is going to continue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had not, uh, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily buy all of his stuff, but Mm -hmm. um, I will be looking for this one on vinyl. Um, yeah. and it's out on vinyl, right? Yeah, it's sitting on my turntable right now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I have I haven't listened to it on vinyl yet though. <laughs> okay. Like like I literally have been like I, I haven't just haven't had time to do it. So I've been listening to this prepping to talk about this. Um which is uh yeah, should we talk about Grant Green on an episode? Like I don't know. I, I feel like yeah, it's like you said that it's weird calling him a jazz artist. For me now, it's weird calling him a guitarist. Yeah. I can see that. Um, yeah, Grant Green, um, 
there's a, you know, there was sort of a golden age of those guys. Pat Martino sort of catches mm-hmm. the, the tail end of that, but of that kind of like hot organ soul jazz. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and that's, you know, Grant Green is really, really excels at that. Yeah. He excels um, at that, but also like he's, he's translating a point in time. Yeah. Like that, that we weren't around for, but you know, he's doing more. There, there's a lot more heavy lifting than there seems to be, uh, doing like his album feeling the spirit, for example, like, is okay. just, like it's amazing. And it, and it just deals with like black religion at that point in history. Huh. Uh, I think Herbie Hancock's in that. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. I don't. I don't think I know that one. Um, I'm trying to think. There's like uh, Iron City. There's um, Idle Hands. I have a couple of others of his from that same era, which I want to say yeah. is like late '50s, early '60s, uh-huh. maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Let me see. Feeling the spirit is. Grant Green and yep, Grant Green, Herbie Hancock, Butch Warren, Billy Higgins, and Garvin Musso on tambourine. Oh, tambourine wow. guy gets a credit. Billy uh, Higgins, wow. Yeah, uh, came out in 1962. Yeah. Uh, jazz arrangements of traditional African American spirituals. Man, right. pre- was he on Prestige at that point? I wonder. The Prestige no, this is, this is Blue Note. Blue Note, okay. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we should do a Grant Green episode. Yeah. Or just a jazz. This is this is this is gonna end with us playing, you know, vinyl into podcast microphones. Really <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. We're we're starting to ramble a bit and, and yeah. we can we yeah. can do better things Let's than, bring it in. Yeah. than that. And um just say that uh look, if this is your first time hearing Bill Frizzell and you liked it. Pick a record. You, yeah. you will not be disappointed. My favorites are that Americana and Good Dog Happy Man. Um, yeah. I'm just beginning my journey to getting all of them like I have all the Raikuda records. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's my goal. Um, but yeah, just pick it and uh, try it out on the streaming first, dude. It's, it's, it's all there. and you And then, most importantly... Find out what it's about. Find out for him specifically what was his intent. Yeah, yeah, because it's deliberate. It's very He's, deliberate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and you're going to be, uh, I think, happy. And if if you don't like what you just heard, I, I guess you won't take our advice. <laughs> and see ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, Bill Frizzell's Four is out on Blue Note Records everywhere. Uh, that is our show. And uh, we only have one more left this season. And it's going to be, well, well, a couple things are going to happen. This is going to be a surprise for you. But I'm going to spoil it for you and the listeners now. We're, well, we're going to be talking, I think this is what you wanted to do, about records that we liked that we didn't get to talk about. Cool. Like stuff that like you and I individually like yeah, stuff that yeah. like that like we were like, man, I really like that, but it didn't seem to fit. Yeah. Um. And uh, and so we'll we'll be spinning a few tracks from that. But also, if things things get done in time, uh, I'm doing another 
holiday song with our friend Jordan. Yeah. And uh, it is it is coming. It's called The Last Christmas. Uh, it is metal as fuck. And assuming we're done in time, I'm sending him the work right before I come to D.C. Okay. So he's going to have Thanksgiving week to do vocals. We could have a podcast debut here, huh? We are, and Jordan's yeah. going to be on. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about creating music that shouldn't exist outside of 1996. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, from, 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 from the little that I've heard, the, I will say the, the spirit of Dave Mustaine uh, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, Marty Dockin Friedman. Man. Right? George yeah. Lynch, come on. Yeah. Yeah, it's all in um, there. It's all in there. It's all in there. But all right. Uh, there's a show. We will talk to you in two weeks. And uh, hopefully, I'll be tweeting a bunch about Bill Fazell. So uh, <laughs> at, at Chunky Kevin on Twitter, in, if it still exists. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon.